What's up, revelers and weirdos? Welcome to Scaring Sam. And you know the deal by now. I attempt to spook my fiance with horror, give a meaningful explanation why, and she questions why she wants to marry me. I'm your host, James Reese, aka the poor man's Ben Affleck, and Sam isn't here. Blame lockdown 3D. Almost as bad as Highlander 2, the quickening. Yep, it's February, and we all know what that means. On the 14th, we all buy cheap flowers from a petrol garage to give to our significant others once we return home. And to celebrate this, every film we cover this month has a dark love story at its rich, gooey centre. This week, it's Candyman. Candyman is based on another of Clive Barker's twisted love stories, The Forbidden. Yes, from a very skewed perspective, Hellraiser is a love story. That just involves a hedonistic, pleasure-seeking man, his brother's sociopathic wife, and a bunch of S&M demons thrown in for good measure. And you can argue Candyman is a story of lost love. Helen Lyle, played by Virginia Madsen, alongside her friend Bernadette, are students working on a master thesis surrounding modern folklore, specifically the story of the Candyman. You know the whole shtick. Say his name five times in front of a mirror, and he appears, ready to gut you with his bloody hook. Two African-American cleaners at the university have heard of Candyman. They both live in Cabrini Green, in the projects, where they believe Candyman killed a woman, Ruthie Jean. Helen's investigation leads her and Bernadette to the crime-ridden projects, with the latter loading her purse with pepper spray and a taser. They visit the scene of Ruthie Jean's murder and they meet her neighbour, Anne-Marie, who wants to make a better life for her baby son, Anthony, far away from Cabrini Green. As Helen states, an entire community starts attributing the daily horrors of their lives to a mythical figure. This reflects her husband's sentiment earlier. These stories are modern oral folklore, the unselfconscious reflection of urban society. We can say the same about horror movies, right? By the way, Helen's husband is a pretentious prick. A professor who's barely hiding the fact he's porking one of his students behind her back. Later, Helen persuades a local boy, Jake, to show her where to find Candyman. He leads her to a community toilet with shit literally smeared on the walls. Where another kid was... Uh, castrated. Here, Helen is cornered by gang members, the leader wielding a hook, aping the legend. He attacks Helen, but he's later arrested, and the murders of Ruthie Jean and the boy are attributed to him. The police couldn't catch him before because no one would testify. They can't protect the residents of Cabrini Green, and the gangs know it. As Helen says, two people get brutally murdered and the cops do nothing whereas a white woman goes in there and gets attacked and they lock the place down. After this, Helen doesn't believe in Candyman, which spurs him to make his presence known to her. And it's here Tony Todd's deep, velvety voice washes over us. It's like warm honey dripping in your ear. Mmm, mmm, mmm. Silhouetted by the outside light, Todd casts an imposing figure. Every inch of his six-foot-five frame radiates power as he descends upon Helen, who's hypnotised by the sight of him. Do I have a man crush on Tony Todd? 
Anyways, I love how the film builds up the mystique surrounding Candyman. Long before we see him, he literally doesn't enter the story until the midpoint, but the character has already cast a long shadow. Candyman is a tragic monster. He was the son of a former slave who amassed a fortune, so Candyman was well educated. He became a talented artist who fell in love with the daughter of a well-to-do white man. She fell pregnant. In revenge, her father hired hooligans who chased Candyman down, sawed off his artist's hand with a rusty blade, covered his body in honey, and he was stung to death by bees. Finally, they burnt his body on a pyre, and the ashes were scattered over Cabrini Green. Because they've never heard of the concept of overkill. Later we discover Helen is the reincarnation of his lost love, and wants her to be my victim, so that they can be together for an eternity. Hard pass, Candyman. Hard pass. In an interview, Tony Todd said, We both agreed we wanted, in terms of the interpretation of Candyman, to be similar to the great Lon Chaney in The Phantom of the Opera, wanted the gothic elegance to his monstrosities, and I wanted it rooted in some sort of cause. So together we came up with the whole lynching, him being vilified for being in love with a woman with the wrong complexion. Speaking of Tony Todd's magnificent deep tones, a study found deeper male voices were considered more dominant by other men and more attractive by women. <coughs> if that's the case... <coughs> can't do it. If that's the case, Todd must be an absolute fuck machine. To be honest, I'll happily take him to dinner, pay for his meal, while he recited passages from Love in the Time of Cholera. But Be My Victim is a terrible chat-up line. I thought I was bad when I tried to whisper sweet nothings in Sam's ear. I want to brush your mane and feed you sugar lumps. Are you calling me a horse? Do you want me to call you a horse? So, it's here at the midpoint that everything changes and it gets wild real quick for Helen. Next thing she knows, Helen finds herself on the floor of an unknown bathroom covered in blood that's not her own, and Anne-Marie crying out her son's name. In the hallway, Helen finds the severed head of the pet Rottweiler and instinctively picks up the meat cleaver beside it and gingerly makes her way in the direction of Anne-Marie's screams. Her son Anthony is missing and naturally believes Helen is to blame. She viciously attacks Helen, who still, dazed and confused, slices her arm in defence. It's in this damning position that the police arrive and arrest Helen. She needs to make a call and lawyer up fast. But what does she do instead? She calls Trevor, her insufferable husband, who isn't home at 3am. Cause he's given his student, Stacy, some extra tutorial. If you know what I mean. Freed on bail, Helen goes through her photos she took at Cabrini Green, looking for answers. She heads into the bathroom, suggesting she will utter Candyman's name five times in the mirror. Only to have his hook burst through it. It's a simple but effective jump scare. Candyman reveals Helen's disbelief has weakened him. He will trade her life for the child's. And by doing so, the residents of Cabrini Green will fear him once more. 
It's like Freddy versus Jason. They stole the whole idea from Candyman. Unfortunately for Bernadette, this is around the time she decides to visit her friend and she is brutally gutted by Candyman. Of course, Helen is to blame. Not even Trevor believes her now. God, we hate Trevor so much. So, Helen is committed to a psychiatric hospital. Dr. Burke assesses Helen after a month of being heavily sedated. Helen, not Dr. Burke. Of course, he doesn't believe her story. So to prove it's all true, Helen summons Candyman by chanting his name in the mirror. After a long pause, Candyman slices through the doctor, proclaiming to Helen, You're mine now. Freeing Helen from her restraints, he cannonballs out the window. So escaping from the hospital, Helen seeks help from Trevor, only to find he's moved in his bit on the side, Stacy. They already started redecorating the apartment for crying out loud. A decision Stacy quickly regrets when Helen gives her all the crazy eyes. After Candyman tells her all she has left is his desire for her, this is how men wooed women in the 18th century. Helen heads into Candyman's lair, discovering a mural that depicts his violent death and, uh, finds him sleeping? Do vengeful spirits need sleep? Anyway, Helen surrenders to him and Todd says, The studio was a little afraid of the interracial context because it's a very romantic moment. They were okay with a tall black man covered in bees. Candyman carries Helen over to a concrete slab where he offers her immortality through the story spoken of them from the terrified residents of Cabini Green. As he makes his pitch, there's this off-putting moment where Candyman slides his hook between Helen's legs, which really doesn't help the argument that pointy stabby weapons used by killers in slashers represents their cock. Afterward, Candyman opens his coat revealing his ribcage withering with bees. Then, his mouth fills with bees and he proceeds to dump them inside Helen with a nasty kiss. Because, you know, foreplay is important, guys. By the way, those bees stung Todd 26 times over three films, and he got a bonus each time it happened. I would encourage the bees to sting me if I had that deal in place. After Candyman disappears with Anthony because Candyman does love to disappear a lot, Helen discovers a mural with the words, It was always you, Helen. Wait, should I do it in a deeper voice? It was always you, Helen. Yes, yeah, so these words are scrolled over the mural. The mural shows Candyman and his lover, who is meant to resemble her. Okay, one criticism I have of the film, and it's hard to ignore once you notice it, is Helen's character resembles the white saviour trope. If you're not familiar with this, the white saviour is a character type in American cinema where a white main character rescues a non-white group or person from their bad fortune or situations that threaten their lives. Through their sacrifice, the community or individual is saved in the end. Take Candyman. The gangbanger who's masquerading as Candyman is only arrested after a white woman is attacked in Cabrini Green. That's, unfortunately realistic in society. But the film takes it one step further in the third act. Candyman attempts to feed his legend by trapping Helen and baby Anthony in a bonfire ignited by the local residents. Helen ultimately saves baby Anthony at the cost of her own. 
while Candyman is destroyed in the fire, ending his reign of terror that has gripped this community. And after her sacrifice, it appears the whole of Cabini Green pay their respects and honour her by painting a mural. Helen is essentially elevated into a Masonic figure. For someone who seeked out folklore in life, has become one in death. Cabini Green was a real place. Opened in 1942, this housing project gained a notorious reputation for being a hive of criminal activity. Housing projects provided subsidised rental assistance for low-income households, primarily within the setting of concentrated blocks of low- or high-rise apartment buildings, particularly in urban areas. However, over time, due to neglect and mismanagement at the local level, and Congress failing to provide adequate funding, housing projects have shown to greatly increase poverty in the community, leading to crime and drug use. And get this, city governments and political organisations also selfishly avoided building public housing units in middle and upper class neighbourhoods, resulting in the construction of them in already crime-ridden, poverty-stricken ghettos instead. The depiction of Cabini Green in the film was sadly an accurate depiction of life there. Racial segregation is another key issue within public housing. More than 40% of occupants live in predominantly black neighbourhoods, which tend to reflect a lower socio-economic status in comparison to the affluent white neighbourhoods. The character of Anne-Marie represents the people who have been unfairly victimised by a system which is stacked against them. Anne-Marie works a low-income, dead-end job so she can provide for her child, Anthony. His safety is her number one priority, yet she has been forced to live in a ghetto all because the powers that be intentionally avoided building public housing in upper and middle-class neighbourhoods. If you're looking for an example of systemic racism and classism, this is it. Director Bernard Rose shot many of the film scenes in Cabrini Green. On a research trip to Chicago, he was shown by the Illinois Film Commission and he said, There was such an aura of fear around the place and I thought that was really something interesting to look into because it's sort of a kind of fear that's at the heart of modern cities. And obviously, it's racially motivated, but more than that, it's poverty motivated. However, to gain permission to shoot at Cabini Green, Rose had to first agree to cast some of the residents as extras. The last high-rise of this housing project was demolished in 2011, which begs the question, where will this year's Candyman take place? On the bones of where Cabini Green once stood? Maybe. Let's wait and see. I wrote in my notes, this is a classy movie, and it is. It's classy. It's up there with The Shining and The Exorcist. There are stellar performances across the board, especially Virginia Madsen, who is pretty much in every scene. She carries the weight of the entire film on her shoulders. Tony Todd makes for a tragic, nuanced monster who dominates the screen, and the film doesn't skimp or shy away from the gore while dealing with some heavy subject matter. I mean, this is a film. It's classy. And I definitely recommend this one. So what do you guys think of this film? Let us know. 
You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ScaringSandPod and get in touch at ScaringSandPod at gmail.com. Please rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. It's always appreciated. I've been your host, and of course, stay safe out there tonight.